we present Monkey. An abridged translation of the great Chinese classic Journey to the West, written by Wu Chung-un, translated by Arthur Whaley, and narrated by Bob Jones. Chapter 26 Great King, our father, said the worshippers, when all was ready. Following our yearly custom, we now offer up to you a male child, war boy, and a female child, load of gold, together with a pig, a sheep, and a due portion of liquor. Grant that the winds may be temperate, that rain may fall in due season, and all our crops thrive. Then they burned paper horses and returned to their homes. I think I'll go home too, said Pigsy. You haven't got a home, said Monkey. I'll go to Mr. Chun's farm and have a nap, said Pigsy. What nonsense the fool talks, said Monkey. We have promised to take on this job, and we have got to see it through. It's you who are the fool, said Pigsy. I thought you were just having a game with him. You don't mean to say that we are really going to be sacrificed? We've got to do the thing properly, said Monkey. In any case, we must wait till the king comes to eat us, or we shall spoil a good start by a poor finish. And if the king finds no victims, he will send plagues and calamities to the village. You surely don't want that. While they were talking, there suddenly came a great gust of wind. That's done it, said Pigsy. Talk of the devil. Let me do the talking, said Monkey. And in another minute, a most horrible apparition appeared at the doors of the temple, with eyes blazing like comets, tusks like the teeth of a huge saw. Well, which family is making the sacrifices this year? He asked, halting at the entrance. The family of the two Chun, said Monkey, if I may make bold to reply. The king was puzzled. This boy speaks up uncommonly boldly, he said to himself. Usually at the first asking one gets no reply at all. At the second the victim faints with terror, and by the time I have laid hands on him, he is already dead with fright. It is odd that this child should speak up so boldly. What, what are, are your names? He presently asked. I am War Boy, said Monkey, and the girl is called Load of Gold. Well, War Boy and, and Load of Gold, said the monster. I must, I must tell you that this, this sacrifice is a, a very old institution. You have been, been offered to me by your parents according to custom, and I am now going to, to eat you. Help yourself, said Monkey. We shan't put any obstacle in your way. On hearing this, the monster again hesitated. 
It's always a pity when old customs disappear. But the monster was not in the mood to start a discussion, and striding forward, he grabbed at Pigsy. That fool leapt off the dish, changed into his proper form, and seized his rake. The monster fled, but Pigsy was in time to get in a tremendous blow. Something fell to the ground with a clang. I've smashed his helmet, cried Pigsy. And Monkey, resuming his proper shape, picked up a great fish scale, about the size of an ice dish. Up we go, he shouted, and both of them sprang into the air. It so happened that the monster was on his way to a dinner party, and was therefore unarmed. Who are you? He shouted up at them. That you should come here, interfering with my rights and damaging my reputation. It is time you should know, said Monkey. We are disciples of Tripitaka, who is going to India to get scriptures. We heard last night of the filthy orgies in which you indulge and determined to save the lives of the victims and put you under arrest. Come now, confess the truth. How long has this been going on? How many boys and girls have you devoured? If you render me a full account, perhaps I will spare your life. At this, the monster fled, and before Pigsy could get in another blow, he had changed into a gust of wind and disappeared into the river. We won't waste time in chasing him, said Monkey. Tomorrow, we'll arrange a plan for disposing of him finally and getting our master across the river. They went back to the temple, and collecting the beasts and other things brought for the sacrifice, they returned to the farm. Tripitaka, Sandy, and the two brothers were anxiously waiting for news when Monkey and Pigsy suddenly appeared in the courtyard, driving the sacrificial animals and dumping down the holy gear. How did the sacrifice go? asked Tripitaka. Monkey told them what happened. The two old men were delighted, and at once ordered the best room to be got ready for the pilgrims. Soon all were soundly asleep. When the monster got back to his palace under the river, he threw himself onto his throne and sat in complete silence. His watery kinsfolk were astonished to see him looking so glum. You are usually in such high spirits after the sacrifice, they said. Yes, he said. And I have always been able to, to bring back some tidbits for all of you. But today, I didn't even get anything to eat myself. I met my match and came here to losing my life. And he told them his story. Tripitaka, he added, 
Then, from among his watery kinsmen, there stepped out a stripy-coated perch mother, wriggling and bowing. If, if you, you want, want to, to catch Tripitaka, she said, nothing, nothing could, could be easier. If, if I, I tell you how, what, what reward will you, will you give me? If you have a good plan and enable me to catch him, said the monster, I will adopt you as my sister, and you shall eat him, sitting with me on the same mat. Well then, she said, I know that you can call the wind and make rain, but can you bring down snow? He said. And, and can, can you, you make, make it so cold that everything freezes? I can, he said. In, In that case, she said, all is easy. Let's hear about it, said the monster. It is, it is already the third night watch, said the perch mother. You must, you must get, get to work, work at, at once. once. First, First, you must, you must raise, raise a cold wind, wind and then, then send down, down a great fall of snow, and, and make, make it so cold that the river freezes right across. Some, Some of us who are, who are good, good at transformations, transformations must take on human form and must go about on the ice where the road runs down to the river, shouldering packs, umbrella in hand. Tripitaka is in a great hurry to get to India, and when he sees people walking on the ice, he will insist on going across. You will be sitting quietly here in the heart of the river, and as soon as you hear his footsteps above you, will cause the ice to crack. He and his disciples will all fall into the hole, and at one stroke you will have them all in your power. cried the monster, and leaving his watery home, he went up into the sky, set the wind in motion, made a snowstorm and caused the great river to freeze all over. Just before dawn, Tripitaka and his disciples suddenly began to shiver. Pigsy kept on sneezing and coughing and could not sleep. Brother, it's very cold, he called out at last. Fool, said Monkey, where's your spirit? Pilgrims don't feel either heat or cold. What does it matter to us how much it freezes? Disciples, said Tripitaka, there is something in what he says. It is remarkably cold. None of them could sleep, and soon they all tumbled out of bed, dressed, opened the door, and looked out. Everything was white. It had evidently been snowing hard for some time. It's no wonder you were cold, said Monkey, in such a snowstorm as this. They all gazed at the lovely snow. 
Down it fluttered in pale silken threads and flying splinters of jade. When they had admired its beauty for some time, two servants of the house came along and began to brush the paths. Others brought them hot water to wash in, and hot tea and milk cakes soon followed. Braziers were brought, and they all sat down in the parlour. By the time they had finished breakfast, it was snowing harder than ever, and soon there was more than two feet of snow on the ground. Tripitaka became very uneasy about the prospects of the journey and burst into tears. Calm yourself, father, said Mr. Chun. The sight of so much snow need not distress you. The house is well stocked with provisions, and we can provide for you as long as you choose to stay. You don't understand the cause of my anxiety, said Tripitaka. When I received the Emperor's bidding to go upon his pilgrimage, His Majesty accompanied me to the frontier, and when presenting the cup of parting, he asked me how long I should be away. I had no idea how difficult the journey would prove, and promptly replied, It will take me three years to fetch the scriptures and bring them back. But seven years have passed, and still I have not seen Buddha's face. The thought that I have exceeded the appointed time weighs heavily upon me. Fortunately, my disciples were able last night to render you a small service, and I was thinking of making bold to ask you if you could give us a boat in which to cross the river. But now this great snowstorm threatens to postpone our journey for I know not how many months, and my return is again delayed. Surely a few days one way or the other cannot make all that difference, said Mr. Chun. Wait till the weather clears, and I will undertake to get you across the river, even if it costs my whole patrimony. So elaborate was the luncheon that was served that Tripitaka became quite uneasy. We can only consent to a further stay, he said, if you are willing to treat us informally as members of your family. There is no number of banquets, however many days running, said the old man, that could ever repay you for saving our children from their doom. Soon afterwards, the snow stopped, and people began to go about again. Seeing that Tripitaka was looking depressed, Mr. Chun had the paths of the flower garden swept, a big brazier was brought, and they all were invited to come and sit in a snow cave by way of distraction. "'What's this old fellow thinking of?' cried Pigsy. A flower garden is a place to go to in springtime. In this cold, with everything buried under the snow, what pleasure can it be? Fool, said Monkey, you do not know what you are talking about. Snowbound scenes have a mysterious calm which is delightful to enjoy and will soothe our master's feelings. When they had admired the scene for some while, they sat in the snow cave, and some neighbours who had joined them were told about the pilgrimage. When they had all drunk perfumed tea, Mr. Chun asked, Do you, reverend gentlemen, drink wine? 
I do not, said Tripitaka, but my disciples will drink a cup or two of weak wine. It was now getting late, and it was announced that supper was ready in the house. At this moment, someone in the street was heard saying, This is something like cold. The river has frozen. Monkey, that sounds bad for us, groaned Tripitaka. The cold came on very suddenly, said Mr. Chun. Probably it only means that the shallow water near the bank has frozen. But the man who had given the news replied, It is frozen the whole way across, smooth as the face of a mirror, and people are walking about on the ice where the road goes down to the river. When Tripitaka heard that people were walking on the ice, he wanted to go at once and look. Don't be in a hurry, said Mr. Chun. It's late now. Tomorrow we will go and look. They then parted with the neighbours, and when supper was over, retired to rest. Pigsy, when he woke, announced that it was colder than ever. Tripitaka went to the door, and prostrating himself, uttered the following prayer. Deities that guard the faith. In our journey to the west, we have braved the perils of hill and stream, that we might at last see Buddha face to face. Never have we grumbled or repined. Now we see before us strong evidence of heaven's help, in that this river has frozen, so that it can be crossed. We swear that on our return we will inform our emperor of this favour, and he will repay you with manifold offerings. Then he ordered Pigsy to saddle the horse and get ready to cross the river while it was still frozen. Don't be in a hurry, said Mr. Chun. In a few days the ice will have melted, and I will do my poor best to provide you with a boat. I'm not either for going at once or staying on, said Sandy. We have only heard about the river being frozen, and have not seen for ourselves. While we are saddling the horses, I suggest that the master should go and have a look. There is some sense in that, said Mr. Chun and he told his servants to saddle six horses, but not to let Tripitaka's horse be saddled for the present. They all rode down to the river to look. It was true enough that people were walking across the ice. Where are they going? asked Tripitaka. They are traders, said Mr. Chun, from the country on the other side of the river. Things that here are worth a hundred strings of cash, are worth ten thousand on the other side, and things that are worth only a hundred are here worth two thousand. So great are the profits to be made that they are willing to undertake the journey, even at the risk of their lives. In ordinary times, six or seven or even ten will pack into one boat and cross, even in the heaviest storms and directly they saw that the river was frozen, they have naturally come pouring across on foot. The men of the world, said Tripitaka, stake all on profit and fame. 
but it must not be forgotten that we pilgrims too, in carrying out the imperial behest, are also seeking fame, and we must not allow ourselves to feel too superior. Monkey, go back at once to our benefactor's house, put together the luggage, saddle the horse, and let us cross while the ice is thick. Master, said Sandy, the proverb says, in a thousand days one eats up a thousand measures of rice. As we are offered the use of Mr. Chen's house, would it not be wiser to wait a few days till the weather changes and the ice melts, and then cross in a boat? It is a mistake to be in too much of a hurry. I am surprised that you should take such a view, said Tripitaka. If it were the end of winter, and getting warmer every day, it might be good to wait till the ice melts. But it is the eighth month, when the weather grows colder every day if we wait, we shall lose half a year of travelling. Stop your chattering, said Pigsy, dismounting from his horse, and let me go and see how thick the ice really is. Fool, said Monkey, do you think that you can find that out by throwing a stone as you found out how deep the water was before? You don't understand, said Pigsy. I'll strike the ice with my rake. If the ice breaks, that means it's thin, and we won't trust it. If it doesn't give, that means it's thick, and we can walk on it. That sounds sensible, said Tripitaka. The fool hitched up his coat, went to the edge of the river, and lifting the rake in both hands, struck with all his might. There was a tremendous bang. Nine white marks appeared on the ice. Let's be off, he cried. I'll guarantee that it's firm right to the bottom. Tripitaka was delighted. They all went back to Mr. Chun's and prepared for the journey. Unable to prevail upon them to stay, Mr. Chun insisted upon their accepting some dried provisions and pastries to take with them, and all the household gathered round, bowing and kowtowing. A dish of broken pieces of gold and silver was also brought, and Mr. Chun asked them to accept a small contribution to the expenses of their journey, as a return for the service that they had rendered to the family. Tripitaka shook his head, I have left the world, he said. Of what use is money to me? It is our duty to live entirely on such arms as are offered to us upon the road. It is enough that we should accept the provisions you have kindly offered. When the old man had renewed the offer several times, Monkey plunged his hand into the dish and brought out some pieces worth about five string of cash in all. Giving them to Tripitaka, he said, Here's some pocket money for you. Take it, or Mr. Chun will be disappointed. Then they parted and made for the river bank. When they got onto the ice, the horse began to slip about, and Tripitaka was nearly thrown. Master, said Sandy, it's bad going. 
We had better go back and ask them for some straw," said Pixie. "Straw," said Monkey. "What for?" "You wouldn't know," said Pixie. "If we bind straw to the horse's hooves, it wouldn't slip, and the master wouldn't fall off." So they got some straw, and when Pixie had tied it to the horse's hooves, they set out once more. They had gone three or four leagues when Pixie took Tripitaka's staff and made him carry it crosswise. Now, what is this fool up to? cried Monkey. It's his business to carry the staff. Why has he made the master carry it? You've never been on ice, so you wouldn't know," said Pixie. "Ice always has holes in it. If one puts one's foot in a hole, down one goes." And unless one is holding a stick, crosswise like this, one can't stop oneself. The ice closes above like the lid of a kettle, and one never gets out again. The thing to do is to hold a stick crosswise like this. One would think he had spent all his time going on ice," said Monkey, laughing. They all did as he said. Tripitaka held the staff across his knees. Monkey held his cudgel. Sandy, his priest's staff, and Pixie, who had the luggage on his back, tied the rake sideways at his waist. They went on, all feeling perfectly secure. When darkness fell, they ate some of their provisions, but did not dare to halt. And with the moonlight glittering on the dazzling whiteness over the ice. They rode on, never closing their eyes all night. When it grew light, they ate some more of their provisions, and then went on towards the west. After some time, a rending sound suddenly came from under the ice. The white horse plunged and almost lost its footing. Disciple. What is that noise? asked Tripitaka. It is freezing so hard, said Pixie, that the earth at the bottom of the river is hardening. Soon we shall have one solid block under our feet. Tripitaka was astonished and delighted. He whipped on his horse, and away they went. Meanwhile, the great king and his kinsfolk. Were waiting below, hearing at last the sound of hooves. He so deployed his magic power as to open a long cleft in the ice. Monkey immediately leapt into the air, but the white horse went straight in, and so did the other disciples. The monster grabbed at Tripitaka, and he and his kinsfolk swiftly carried him down to the water palace. Where is my princess? Shouted the great king. At your service, she said, approaching the gate and curtseying. But as for sister, no, no, really, I can't allow it. Be careful, he said. Why should they be at your word? A team of horses cannot overtake a word that has left the mouth. I promise to call you my sister if your plan puts Tripitaka into my hands, and sister you must be. 
Then he called to his servants to set the tables, grind the knives, rip out Tripitaka's heart, and then flay and carve him, and to see to it that there was music. He said. Great king, she said. If we eat him now, his disciples may come in the middle and spoil the fun. We had better lie low for a couple of days, and if these wretches don't come to look for him, we'll spit open his breast and hold our feast. Your Majesty will preside, and all our tribe shall be there to entertain you with flute, string, song, and dance. In, in that, that way, we shall, shall be able to enjoy the treat quite at our ease. Isn't that a better plan? The king agreed, and Tripitaka was taken and laid in a long stone chest that stood at the back of the palace. The lid was put on, and there we leave him. Meanwhile, Pigsy and Sandy fished the luggage out of the water and packed it on the horse's back. Then they all began swimming towards the shore. What has become of Tripitaka? asked Monkey, looking down from aloft. There's no such person, said Pigsy. Down among the dead men is his ticket now. It's no use worrying any more about him. We're making for sure. When we get there, we'll decide what's to be done next. Now Pigsy had once been a marshal of the hosts of heaven and had commanded 80,000 water warriors of the river of heaven. Sandy came from the flowing sands and the white horse was a grandchild of the dragon king of the western ocean, so all three of them were quite at home in the water. Led by Monkey from above, they made the journey much quicker than they had come, and scrambling up the bank, they scrubbed down the horse, wrung out their clothes, and, joined by Monkey, all went back to Mr. Chun's house. They have come back again, someone announced to Mr. Chun. But there are only three of them. As soon as they arrived at the door, Mr. Chun saw that their clothes were wet. I told you so, he said. I begged you to stay, but you would not listen to me. If you had, you would not now be in this sad state. And what has become of Tripitaka? That's not his name now, said Pigsy. He's known as Old Down at the Bottom. But the old men burst into tears. If only he had waited till the ice melted and taken a boat, they wailed. His obstinacy has cost him his life. Don't distress yourselves unduly, said Monkey. I've a notion that the master will live a long time yet. This is just a trick of the monsters. Meanwhile, don't worry, but get our clothes put through the mangle, dry our passports, have the white horse well fed, and then we'll go and find this creature, rescue the master, and get this business settled once and for all. Then I hope you'll all have a quiet time for a long while to come. The old men were satisfied by this and ordered a good supper to be brought in. 
When the pilgrims had eaten their fill, they asked the people of the palace to look after the horse, and, weapon in hand, went off to the river to look for the monster. If you do not know how they saved Tripitaka, you must listen to what is told in the next chapter. listening to Monkey, an abridged translation of the great Chinese classic Journey to the West, written by Wu Chung-un, translated by Arthur Whaley, and narrated by Bob Jones. <laughs>